A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Of course! Let's do it! Alright, let's give it a whirl! Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening from everywhere all over the world. We're so happy that you're there and we're so happy that you like to listen to our show. Absolutely. Uh, We are uh, just uh, blown away uh, by the support uh, that we get um, from, of course, our our personal friends and family. uh, But then uh, those of you who are listening uh, and have been listening for a long time and those uh, who are new, uh, welcome to all of you uh, all over this great country of ours and all over this wonderful world. Uh, For those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, we would like to uh, give you a heartfelt welcome. We've got quite the party going on over here. Uh, The way that we do things is that uh, in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure. Uh, Mom will then input that data into the back computer and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. Uh, She will then do her best to give us a blind reading of that chart, telling us what she can about the person's uh, motivations, uh, characteristics, fortunes of this mystery history guest. I will then reveal to her uh, who our historical figure is, give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a male. All right. Born on the 22nd. I like the 22nd. Of November. Uh-huh. 1643. Okay. Do we have a time? 12.30 p.m. What? Well, I am impressed. Okay, and where in the world? France. France. Parlez-vous français? 
And what town? Uh, R-O-U-E-M. Hmm. Very nice. Okay. All right. This is a male, born November 22nd, 1643, Rouen, France. Okay. All right. Okay. Very interesting. Clearly, we have a lot of planets in the ninth house. Very, very interesting. All right. So let me go through and read through all of the planets. Uh, we have Aquarius as the ascendant at 17 degrees, Aquarius. Sun is at zero degrees Sagittarius. Moon is at 18 degrees Aries. Mercury is at seven degrees Sagittarius. Venus is at 28 degrees Scorpio. Mars is at 18 degrees Scorpio. Jupiter is at 15 degrees Aries. Saturn is at one degree Aries. Uranus is at 17 degrees Scorpio. Neptune is at one degree Sag. Pluto is at four degrees Gemini. North Node is at 23 degrees Virgo. Chiron is at 18 degrees Gemini. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. All right. Um, and as you can see, uh, we have a stellium. I mean, sorry. Well, we, we have a, a great amount of planets in the ninth house, but we have an interception. Uh, this person's Pisces and Virgo are intercepted. You can see they have no Pisces houses and they have no Virgo houses. And a big one. So, yeah, right? It has to do with location. And then we also have double Sag and double Gemini house cusps. You see this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so very, very interesting because when someone has uh, an interception and then their north node falls inside of that interception, here this person has north node in Virgo at 23 degrees and they have, no, yeah, they have their Saturn at one degree Aries, but it's falling inside of this huge house because I'm using Western tropical astrology and Placidus houses, which is giving me um, the um, degrees of their chart, uh, the houses in their chart, which is uh, creating this um, interception. So that it, I th personally, I think interceptions are more accurate to the person's behavior. And uh, that's what we're going with right now, because this is my interpretation. It's our show. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. And uh, so just so it is uh, clear, I feel that when someone has intercepted houses, that they need an outside influence with planets falling into these houses for them to activate. It's almost like, um, you know, somebody needs to push the red button. 
Um, In this situation, they have someone who needs a partner who probably has planets in Virgo to activate this seventh house north node. And they need someone who has early degree Aries planets to activate their Saturn in the first house. But let's just start moving through the houses, okay? Uh, First house is Aquarius. If this is the correct birth time, this person would have been unique. Unique looking, unique behaving, future thinking, futuristic, odd even. Weird, maybe, but definitely not your average Joe. Because Aquarius is going to show you where the freak flag flies. <laughs> or they could have been a totalitarian. They could have been a dictator. I don't know. But um, okay. Uh, don't know why the doggy is barking, but she is. And uh, hopefully that will cease. But um, Yippee so- agrees. Yes, I guess Yippy does agree. Yippy is being very naughty today because it's storming Mm. and she had to have her CBD and she refused to go in her crate because when it storms, she loses her mind. And so currently she's barking at nothing because there's no one in this house and there's no way anyone could knock on my door. So there's all that. But um, now to get back to this, um, hopefully she has ceased her attack of whatever invisible force has threatened her um so yes 17 degrees aquarius rising is going to either give this person some sort of alien futuristic way about them or it is going to lock in this totalitarian dictator kind of way all right then we have a huge first house okay this first house uh, contains everything from 17 degrees Aquarius, all 30 degrees of Pisces, which is enclosed in this, and um, a portion, a large portion, of their uh, Aries uh, degrees. So this is really big. But they do have Saturn there, okay? And they have Saturn in Aries, in the first house. So Saturn is your planet of lessons and um, um, uh, it's very hard to concentrate when she keeps barking. I get into the zone and then she pulls me out. Uh, lessons, what, what you learn and what you teach. Okay. So in your youth, uh, as you get to your first Saturn return, is what you learn. And as you get to your second Saturn return is more like what you teach. Okay. Having it in Aries means it is ruled by Mars, which is warlike things, passion, um, ambition, uh, things that light fire inside of you, that kind of thing. But they have it in the first house and Saturn is also the timekeeper. So a lot of times when people have Saturn in the first house, they can appear older than they are, or they can seem more mature than their age, if that makes any sense. 
Then we do have Aries on the second house cusp. And in that house falls their Jupiter conjunct their moon by degree. They have Jupiter at 15 degrees Aries and they have moon at 18 degrees Aries. This is going to give this person a very fiery way of addressing their emotions and put some real super fiery women in their life because moon is your emotions and your intuition and women and Jupiter is too much, so much that you have. <laughs> so now we have this combination, as you can see, with only three degrees different between the two. They are conjunct and that's a lot of fiery female energy. I don't know if that makes any sense. Third house cusp is ruled by Taurus, uh, and they have Pluto in Gemini falling in that house. So with that said, Pluto in Gemini is power in communication, power from communication, powerful communication, death and rebirth with communication, communication about taboo things, communication about occult things, communication about secrets, powerful secrets, any of these things, because it's falling in their third house of communication. So there's something about this person and communication and articulation and their vernacular and anything that has to do with communication, um, writing, uh, speaking, um, any of these things. But now the fourth house cusp is Gemini and their Chiron falls in their fourth house in Gemini. Okay. They have two Gemini house cusps. All right. Uh, because of their interception, they have two Gemini and they have two Sag. So in this house is their Chiron. And we know that Chiron is the wounded healer. It represents the wounded healer. So in Gemini, this also has something to do with communication and the home or the community or the country or the, or the close family or something along this line with communication and wounds and healing. Okay. So then the fifth house cusp is also Gemini. So even though it's this close to cancer, you see Chandler, mm -hmm. uh, it is still in Gemini. So that fifth house cusp in Gemini is going to give them a fifth house that is more playful than it would be if it was in cancer. Okay. They don't have anything, no planets in the fifth house, but having it be ruled by Gemini, they have these two, the home and also the entertaining, the entertainment, the children, the um, romance, all of these different things have this kind of playful Gemini airiness about them. All right. They do have uh, a cancer influence in their fifth house, but there's no planets there. So we're just going to go with this fifth house cusp of Gemini to give it kind of this mm, energy in there. Their sixth house is ruled by cancer, which is going to give them kind of an interesting nurturing way about their day to day and their work. And also pets. They would have probably liked pets. 
I mean, some people, you know, are just totally not into it, but this person should have been wanting to nurture animals as well. Now their sixth house cost, their sixth house does include Leo, but there's no planets in there, but there is also some, a bit of entertainment or a bit of uh, flair or a bit of leadership in their work. All right. Their seventh house cusp is Leo because their entire uh, 30 degrees of Virgo house is inside of this huge seventh house. Okay. So there is some leadership, some romance, some drama in this seventh house of partners. But in order for them to activate their north node, which is hidden in here, in Virgo, they're going to need somebody to push the red button. <laughs> that is my theory. <laughs> I'm sticking to it until I change my mind. <laughs> is any of this making any sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, their eighth house cusp is Libra. They do not have any. Uh, that's not true. Yes, it is. They do not have any planets in Libra, but in their eighth house is their Uranus in Scorpio at 17 degrees, which is conjunct their Mars in Scorpio, which falls in their ninth house. Oh boy. <laughs> Uranus is your planet of unexpected. It is your planet of invention it is your planet it's because uranus rules aquarius so it's all that futuristic alien new new way of doing it kind of stuff and they have uranus conjunct mars but one degree different mars at 18 degrees uranus at 17 degrees so mars is ruled by aries and during this time mars was ruled Mars ruled Scorpio as well. So I feel that somehow this person is connected to Martian things, warlike things, um, but a different way, a different passionate way of this. I'm not sure how that works out. And I don't know if I'll even know this person, but then they also have their Venus in Scorpio at 28 degrees. Now, it is in a wide 10 degree orb to their Mars and their Mars is then conjunct their Uranus. So these things in the ninth house, which is travel, higher education, philosophy, religion, dogma, um, expansive things uh, that are ruled by Jupiter. They have these planets Venus and Mars in Scorpio in this house. So anytime you're adding Scorpio into the mix, you're adding the possibility of warlike things. And you're also adding this level of uh, dark side or things that people feel are uncomfortable. This person is completely comfortable with them. Okay, anybody who has Scorpio placements is going to be comfortable with the things that most people are not comfortable with. 
All right. And this person has the added flair of a even new way to be comfortable with it because it's Uranus in Scorpio. So, you know, they may have, you know, really stepped over the line and shown, shine a light on something that's like, Hey, what if we look at it like this? Okay. So then this person has their sun at zero degrees Sag. Oh my. And their Neptune at one degree Sag, which is going to, those are conjunct. All right. So now you have your Neptune conjunct your sun in Sagittarius, first of all. Okay. And the Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. So Sagittarius, their boundaries are very open. Okay. Very open and wide. And now we already have sun in Sagittarius, which is going to give them this, you know, kind of cavalier, open, earthy way of adventuring through life. But now we're going to add Neptune conjunct that by one degree in Sag, which is now going to give them either a very creative way, because Neptune rules Pisces, that's very creative, or a very veiled connection to themselves, meaning they're not sure about themselves. They could have had addictions because it's Neptune and Neptune also rules that. Somehow, I want to say that this person is probably very cavalier with their creativity and their freak flag. <laughs> I don't know. But they also have Mercury in Sagittarius. So here we have sun at zero degrees, which is very powerful degree. So like uber Sagittarius, then Neptune at one degree conjunct Mercury. So there's something about communication and creativity and it is conjunct their North Node, which has to do with their career, but it's in the ninth house, which is ruled by Jupiter and deals with all those things, all those philosophy things, because they don't have anything in their 10th house, even though they have, you know, 10th house Caspisage and 11th house Caspisage. Now, having this 11th house, blah, 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 having this 11th house cusp in Sagittarius is going to lighten what it would have been had they not had an interception and this 11th house would have been, uh, you know, Capricorn. So, or not, eh, it just all depends. I would have to look at it and, and do it equal houses to see what it, it would end up being. But it lightens their um, interaction with groups of people. Even though they have a large amount of Capricorn in their 11th house, uh, having this house cusp in Sag is going to lighten that and make it more gregarious than it would be if it were in Capricorn. Their 12th house cusp is Capricorn. They don't have anything in their 12th house, but having 12th house cusp in Capricorn would give them karma with Capricorn type things like business, entrepreneurship, uh, control. Um, these kind of things. Uh, do you have any questions?
What is this person's relationship with religion? Well, with all of this stuff in the ninth house, if this birth time is correct, they should have a very deep opinion and behavior where it comes to religion and um, anything that ninth house rules, you know. But in this situation, they have a they have five planets in their ninth house per this birth time. So if that is true, uh, then this person could also have a very unique way of looking at the dogma and the religion and all that, because it's Scorpio and Sag, all right? Uh, both of these would be um, very intense, very intense. I would even say that they would be unique, like a new way of looking at religion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, what sort of profession do you think he'd go into? Well, I want to say it has something to do with creative communication. Um, but also it, it it's very intense because of this moon conjunct Jupiter conjunct Saturn in Aries and also Pluto in Gemini in the third house and conjunct Chiron by sign, but not by degree with this North node in Virgo, which needs to be activated because North node in Virgo, North node in Virgo is going to be needing to do the work really well, do it perfect. So something that has to do with communication possibly with warlike things and a new way, unique, because of the Aquarius and the Uranus. What is his view of the unknown? I wouldn't be surprised if this person can open portals to dimensions, because I think that this person has no fear of the unknown and seeks it out. I'm probably really wrong, but that's what I think. I think this person definitely unique. Where would you find him in a group project? Well, uh, he has this Leo in his sixth house, which could make him lead it. He has uh, Saturn conjunct Jupiter and Moon in Aries by sign, but definitely Jupiter and Moon by degree in Aries. That's very leading leadership. The Scorpio makes him more... could be behind the scenes, but the Sag makes him run right up onto it. So he could be... And also this North Node in Virgo, they might need to be in charge of it because no one can do it as well as they can. I'm going to lean towards he's more in at the upper echelon of the group, more, more in the leader capacity. And if not by title, then by work. 
You know what I mean? Like maybe he doesn't have the title because of this Aquarius rising. He doesn't need that title because this is humanitarian. This is about being human. This is about the whole team. But by the time they're done with the work that they're doing in it, they did a lot of the work. How would he handle criticism? <laughs> um, Part of me thinks that he would be... Uh, well, I mean, with Moon in Aries, it could make him emotionally very uh, willing to fight, uh, especially with the Jupiter here, willing to fight, fight a person. <laughs> but with this Aquarius rising, I feel like they're more like willing to fight for someone else. Like they don't really like this doesn't affect me. Like your opinion, I have no your opinion is worthless to me. You know what I mean? With all this Scorpio and the Sag. But he could be very fiery. And also this Pluto and uh, Gemini could make him really have a lot to say about it. How would he treat subordinates? Honestly, I think that this person... I want to say, okay, I want to say with the Aquarius rising that he's uh, unique and humanitarian, all right, and that he would treat subordinates fairly. But the opposite side of that is totalitarianism. So if this is a dark-sided person, if this person is working with the dark side, this person could be a, a very serious villain. All right. Because they have the power in all the different areas to think of the ways that they could uh, make that person really feel like they were subordinate, you know. But I want to go with that this Aquarian rising and i want to go with the side that says this is a really good a, a good leader type of person a good general you know a good hard worker caring a person who cares about their fellow man you think this person would be more aware or aloof of themselves or their surroundings either I don't i think this person is aware i think this person is very aware is this a lucky person could be sun conjunct neptune conjunct mercury in sagittarius all that jupiter um having jupiter in aries trining all that could be could be really lucky do you have any other final first impressions? I want to say that I would like to believe that this person was very gregarious, possibly very creative. And if not very creative, then I would like to see when you do the history of this person, how this Neptune influenced them, you know, in their personality and how this Scorpio played out with this Uranus there. 
and this Aquarius rising, whether it was humanitarian or totalitarian, and interesting to find out what partners they ever had because of this interception in their seventh house that needs to activate their North node. And so I think this person was probably really fiery. Lots of fire. They need this Scorpio to cut this Scorpio and this North node to kind of calm down all this fire and air they have. Well, at this point, I think we are ready for a summary of our findings. <laughs> okay, I hope I'm even in the realm of reality here. The first thing that you said is that uh, this person would be unique. Uh, mm -hmm. Possibly unique looking, uh, futuristic, uh, and odd <laughs> yeah. even. Yeah. Uh, alien. Uh, could have a potential for totalitarian leadership. Uh, mm -hmm. There is learning from his ambition. Mm -hmm. uh, he might appear more mature than he is, uh, mm -hmm. very fiery with his emotions, and there mm -hmm. are fiery women in abundance in his life. Mm -hmm. uh, power and communication are linked. Uh, mm -hmm. Communication about secret, hidden things. Mm -hmm. uh, communication about community. Uh, and this is all tied uh, with uh, the wounded healer, wounds and healing from those wounds. Mm -hmm. uh, nurturing is in his day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. uh, he might even uh, like a lot of pets around. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a flair. Uh, entertainment and leadership are connected to his work. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of drama with partners. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a connection to war. Uh, and the unexpected. Travel, philosophy, dogma are all connected uh, to war, and this is a person who would be comfortable with things that might make others uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be able to shine a light on unknown things. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a cavalier way of going through life. He'd be very mm -hmm. creative. Uh, mm -hmm. he might not be sure of himself, uh, and there might be a tendency towards addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be very cavalier, uh, with creativity, and uh, he would, uh, let his freak flag fly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, creativity with communication. Mm -hmm. Lightning interactions with groups. Uh, he might be somewhat gregarious. Uh, mm -hmm. There's karma uh, with business and control. Mm -hmm. uh, he would have a very deep opinion about religion. He has mm -hmm. a unique way of religion. Mm -hmm. He would be very intense. Mm -hmm. uh, the profession uh, would be create, uh, connected to creative communication. Uh, mm -hmm. He needs to do work well, uh, maybe a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. A communication about war and unique things. Mm -hmm. uh, he might be able to open portals to dimensions. <laughs> uh, he has no fear of the unknown. He seeks it out. Uh -huh. uh, he would be uh, in a leading position in a group project, either uh, given the title of a leader and doing that, or working behind the scenes and doing all of the work, but letting someone else get the credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows that he is the one who can do it well. Mm -hmm. 
he would be willing uh, to fight uh, criticisms, but also might just not think about them at all. He'd be more mm-hmm. willing to fight for someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope. And uh, he has uh, a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a unique uh, humanitarian way of going through life. Uh, he uh, should be able to treat uh, subordinates fairly, but mm-hmm. uh, he could be swayed to be a very serious villain. Uh, mm-hmm. And he would be able to have the power to think of new ways of uh, torturing subordinates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he would be a good worker, uh, possibly a good general, and caring about people underneath him. I would hope. Uh, he is a very aware person. Uh, he could be lucky. Uh, he is very mm-hmm. gregarious, creative, and a fiery person. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that I've left out? <laughs> no. And again, I apologize for you know the bipolar explanations of things, but there's a real bipolar situation with every single sign so that's how it is are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at i am i hope i know who it is uh it's interesting uh that one of the words that you chose uh, to describe the person was cavalier Uh uh, because this is the astrological birth chart of rene robert cavalier sierre de la salle (gasps) <gasps> oh no <laughs> poor LaSalle I'm so sorry for poor LaSalle oh my gosh okay yeah yeah he might have been lost <laughs> he's got this Neptune conjuncted son I'm very excited to hear about LaSalle and also I think LaSalle you know maybe he was not necessarily <laughs> got the best for his uh ending there but uh i can't remember for sure so please Chandler, tell us about lasalle uh so for those uh who are not immediately aware uh lasalle is uh, a french explorer uh, born in france he uh, lived a lot of his uh, life in uh, what is now canada and is credited with um exploring a lot of the american midwest and uh really claim lays claim the reason louisiana was french was because of lasalle he took uh his expeditions all the way to uh what is now new orleans uh, and claimed all of the land for King Louis the Fourteenth, therefore Louisiana, uh, and uh, but what is probably more known among those who study and love Texas history is uh, his ending of his life uh, in the uh, colony that he uh, mistakenly uh, settled in Texas. Uh, so we will uh, talk all about that. Uh, so. Uh, Sierra de la Salle, that, that's a title, that's not his name, uh, but it is forever known as him. Uh, but he was born uh, René Robert, uh, they pronounce it Cavalier, uh, November of 1643 uh, in France uh, to Jean Cavalier and Catherine. 
Uh, and this was an upper middle class uh, couple uh, in uh, France, and they were able to send uh, their sons out to uh, very good schools, uh, uh, went to Jesuit schools in France. Uh, his older brother uh, became a uh, Jesuit priest, and he started following in those same footsteps. Uh, he was ordained in 1660, and uh, he excelled in math and logic. So much so uh, that as he grew up, uh, they tasked him with going to other colleges throughout France and teaching math and logic to the new students uh, in these Jesuit colleges. Mm. Uh, he had this profound calling for adventure and wanted <laughs> to go uh, to North America and uh, teach the natives um, about Christianity. And oh. he kept applying uh, to uh, do that in the Jesuit order. Uh, they were so happy with what he was doing in the colleges in France and teaching uh, the students there that they kept denying him. Uh, and so in 1667, he left the order. Uh, mm. so that he could get on a ship and go to North America. Uh, mm. And his uh, brother had already, the year before, gone to North America and uh, gone to New France, which is uh, now uh, Quebec and Montreal and that portion of Canada. And so uh, uh, he arrives in France and Montreal, and he has a little bit of money uh, from uh, his family, and he has enough uh, to uh, acquire a, uh, a seigneury. Uh, and so that is like a title of land. And so when he gets this uh, title, uh, which uh, he establishes on Montreal Island, uh, he is given a an actual title along with this land, and that is um, a Sierre de la Salle, uh, which is uh, Lord of the Manor. Um mm. And so from then on, he is always known as, uh, as LaSalle. Uh, he uh, establishes a town on Montreal Island, a community uh, bringing people in, and uh, he also makes alliances with all of the uh, native peoples around uh, to try and make sure that there's good trade uh, between his town and, and the other native peoples. And in the winter of 1668, uh, some of the Seneca Iroquois uh, come, and they winter uh, on the island. Mm -hmm. And it is there that they talk about uh, this river uh, that the uh, French people in New France are, are, are not completely familiar with. It, it is uh, what we now know as the Ohio River, and mm -hmm. uh, that it empties out into this great ocean. And uh, LaSalle hears this and he thinks that what they're talking about has to be uh, the Northwest Passage. That was uh, this, this fabled river, this uh, water route that could take you through North America directly to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, if the oh. French were able to get this river, uh, they would be able to have a corner on the market and could go right through North America to uh, the Orient, to Japan and China, uh, mm -hmm. and just cut right through the middle of the continent. Uh, so he is fascinated with the story of this river that people are not uh, aware of, or uh, at least the Europeans uh, and the French are not aware of. Uh, and so in 1669, uh, LaSalle asks uh, permission of the uh, governor of New France to have an expedition to find this river and claim it for the French. Uh, and uh, the governor uh, gives him permission as long as he finances it himself. Uh, oh, no. Uh, yeah, go ahead, but I'm not paying any money for it. 
do whatever you want. So uh, LaSalle, <laughs> it's your money. Uh, he he sells his seniori. He sells the the title, his claim uh, to oh, no. the island of Montreal. He is twenty six years old, uh, and he uh, uses that money to get all of these supplies. Uh, and uh, on July eighth of sixteen sixty nine, LaSalle uh, with twenty four men on nine canoes. Uh, he is bringing along with him another expedition of missionaries who want to go and uh, preach the gospel to uh, the native peoples on this new river, uh, a few Iroquois guides, and a Dutch interpreter. Uh, they leave the St. Lawrence River. They go uh, into Lake Ontar- Ontario. In August, uh, they... Uh, land uh, along the banks of Lake Ontario, and uh, they encounter a band of Iroquois there. And uh, there quickly become uh, some interpretive problems. Um, oh, no. LaSalle told everyone that he spoke fluent Iroquois, and uh, it became no. clear that that was not the case. Uh, the Dutch person who they brought with them to be uh, the interpreter uh, spoke Iroquois great, um, but couldn't speak French. Uh, <laughs> so the Dutch man and the Iroquois understand each other, but the French people don't understand the Dutchmen because they can't speak Dutch or Iroquois. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there, things get pretty muddled and confused uh, pretty quickly, but mm-hmm. some of these messages get across. And the people in this band are saying, uh, we don't know... We don't want anyone to go to the Ohio River because you're going to link up with the natives that are there and there are uh, mortal enemies. Uh, Uh So you just stay here with us and we'll take care of you. There's no need to go to the Ohio River. Uh, the the Iroquois had just taken a prisoner from one of these uh, tribes from from the west, uh, a, a person who would know how to find the Ohio River. Well, they want to make an example of him. Uh, and so now this is a story that comes to us from the European account. So we're not exactly sure how much of it is true, but whatever they did certainly sent a message to the Frenchmen. Uh, so they got their muskets, the Iroquois got muskets, and they uh, rolled them in the fire, and then they burned the flesh off of this prisoner. Uh, then uh, they let him go throughout the village, and they found hot coals uh, from their fires and rained them upon uh, the man. Oh. And then, uh, once he was dead, they cut his flesh up and they ate it, and okay. uh, they offered it uh, to the Frenchman, like, hey, here, have some of this. Okay. Um so that really sent the message. Okay. The Iroquois do not want us finding the Ohio River. Oh, no. Eventually, another guy from another band of the Iroquois comes into this village, and he decides that he's going to, he will. He, he'll be a guide. These guys have tons of wampum. We're going to make a trade. Sure, I'll take him over to the Ohio River. Oh, my. Uh, so uh, they leave this village, and they go to the other end of Lake Ontario. And they pass uh, the Niagara River, and as they're passing it, they can hear Niagara Falls off in the distance. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't go down the river, and they keep going on the lake, and uh, they hit this other village, and LaSalle becomes very ill. Uh, He has a bad fever, and the... uh, the, the Iroquois talk to them about this other band of Native Americans, uh, the Potowamic, 
I believe, were Potawatomi Indians, and that they haven't heard the word of God. And so all of the missionaries are like, oh, well, we got to go over there. <laughs> and so uh, LaSalle decides this is great. I don't, I'm too sick right now to go anywhere. We'll send the missionaries off. We'll split up the group. And so the missionaries go off to uh, uh, preach the gospel to these uh, natives, and uh, LaSalle stays in this little village. Now, what happens next is a bit of a mystery. Uh, some historians and some of the uh, scholarly accounts say that LaSalle was successful, that LaSalle uh, became well. Uh, he then uh, followed uh, the rivers down to the Ohio, and he took the Ohio River all the way to uh, the waterfalls uh, that are, would be present-day Louisville, Kentucky. M more of the scholars agree that that didn't happen and that <laughs> LaSalle actually ended up just getting well and then going back to Montreal. Oh. Uh, whatever happened, uh, he certainly didn't discover China uh, like he <laughs> said he was going to do. And all the Canadians thought that it was hilarious when he showed back up in fall of 1670. And you remember that town that he, he created on Montreal Island? Uh -huh. uh, they named it Lachine, uh, which is the China. Uh, to okay. mock him for the rest of his life and for okay. the rest of eternity. Like, you thought you were going to find China, and okay. you just got sick. Oh, no. Uh, so uh, that's how that little town on Montreal Island got its name. Oh, uh, no. So that was 1670. A few years go by. There uh, are some different uh, people who come in charge of New France. And in 1673, uh, there is a new governor, uh, Count uh, Frontenac, and he becomes the governor of New France. And he uh, comes up with this idea uh, with LaSalle that they need to expand the fur trade, uh, that uh, the English and the Dutch are all over North America and the French just have a couple of towns up in Canada, uh, that they need to expand, they need to build some more forts, get some more alliances with the natives because the furs are this huge trade. Uh, people really don't understand today um, that they would be able to trade brass rings, which were pennies uh, in in, in Europe uh, mm -hmm. to the Native Americans. And Native Americans would give them three beaver pelts, uh, mm -hmm. which were nothing to the Native Americans. But mm -hmm. they could then take those beaver pelts back to France and they would be worth a fortune. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's this whole trade is going on between these European powers. And uh, the I mean, the beavers were almost completely extinct by the time we get to the 1800s mm -hmm. um, because uh, of how valuable uh, their furs were. Uh, so the French need to expand. Uh, and so they get with uh, uh, Frontenac, gets with LaSalle, and they're going to create uh, another fort. Uh, and so uh, this is going to be at the mouth of the uh, uh, Contarqui, uh, Cotarqui River, excuse me. <laughs> uh, they didn't make this uh, very easy for me to pronounce. <laughs> Uh, and when, so they, they get to the mouth of the, uh, Koturki, uh, river and they start building a fort. Now you're supposed to ask the king before you build a fort, uh, but that's going to take a couple months. And so Frontenac just says, it'll be fine. We're going to start building this fort. And while they're doing it, they invite all of the chiefs of the local bands of the Iroquois over. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of, and, and to try and make this deal, like we need people to go out and get us furs. We'll give mm -hmm. you uh, knives and things for these furs. Uh, 
and we want to be great friends. Uh, Frontenac is there, and he exchanges uh, gifts uh, with the Iroquois chiefs and pleasantries and food, uh, the uh, French food uh, that they were eating there. Uh, all the time that they're doing this, he's also saying, if you don't agree, we could be a very bad enemy for you. Uh-oh. And uh, in the distance, they see the fort going up. Uh, so this had a big impact on the Iroquois, and they signed the deal, and uh, they allow this uh, fort to go up, and uh, that that so this fort uh, gets built, and the next year, in fall of 1674, uh, Frontenac then sends La Salle to go over to Versailles and talk to King Louis about, hey, we did this thing, uh, we didn't get your approval for it, what do you think mm-hmm. about it now, we already have a fort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Louis is like, oh, that's great. We got for it. And LaSalle is so grateful to his friend, Governor Frontenac, for doing this, that he proposes that they change the name of it from the one that I can't pronounce to uh, Fort Frontenac. And that's uh, what the fort gets called uh, for uh, from then on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he gets Louis XIV's approval uh, to become the commander of this fort. Uh, and so uh, they uh, and and to lead more expeditions to found more forts to expand the fur trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, LaSalle goes back to Canada and he ends up going back and forth uh, between uh, Montreal and uh, Paris uh, for a, a number of trips uh, over his lifetime. Uh, and he starts becoming a, a big deal in the whole fur trade. There's lots of money being made and the glory of France is being expanded. And as France goes, so do the missionaries go. Uh, so the, there's a lot of praise being uh, put upon him. There's also uh, there's all sorts of palace intrigue going on at the same time. Uh, because he's so powerful, there's a lot of people who are jealous of this position that he now has as the commander of Fort Frontenac and uh, his ability to go out into these uncharted areas and uh, build more forts. And so there are lots of people in New France who uh, are, try and sabotage him. Uh, mm-hmm. So at one point, uh, there's this uh, wealthy uh, fur trader uh, who tries to entrap him in scandal, and he uses his wife uh, to try and seduce LaSalle uh, to say that LaSalle's going out uh having relations with married women. Oh uh, and uh, he uh, rejects her offer, and he leaves the bedroom <laughs> to find the guy right there hoping to get, uh, he was in, uh, in on the whole thing, trying to oh, trap no. LaSalle. And, oh, oh no. mon dieu, uh, I, must ex- I must leave immediately. <laughs> uh, no. So uh, uh, the, that didn't go through. But then there are all sorts of false rumors that he's uh, being, uh, uh, that he's lecherous with unmarried women, that he mm-hmm. is uh, trying to start a, a war with the Iroquois. Uh, eventually, there was an attempt on his life. There was a, a fur trader who uh, uh, tried to get him to eat this salad that he had put hemlock all over, okay. uh, which is one of the reasons I never accept salads from French <laughs> fur traders. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, and uh, But none of these actually go through, and he maintains this position. And a few years later, in 1678, uh, he asks uh, King Louis to establish uh, some more forts in the Great Lakes and on the rivers, uh, and uh, they agree. Uh, so King Louis uh, gives his uh, seal of approval. Uh, he takes uh, one of his... Uh, uh, 
who would become a great confidant, an Italian uh, by the name of uh, Henri de Torti. Uh, and they go uh, to uh, back to Canada. And in December of 1678, uh, they're going to establish these new forts. Uh, and then they're going to meet up uh, at this location at the end of the season. So uh, he sends uh, Torti out uh, to Lake Michigan and he goes to Lake Ontario and they split up their forces and uh, LaSalle goes uh, to uh, Lake Ontario and he gets to the mouth of the Niagara River and he establishes a fort, uh, Fort Conti. And while he's there, uh, he sends expeditions out uh, along the river and he uh, and his companions become some of the first Europeans ever to see Niagara Falls. Uh, and uh, I hear that they really enjoyed the Rainforest Cafe on the Canada side. There's a Rainforest Cafe on the New York side. It's not nearly as good. That, that was a joke. That was supposed to be pretty funny. <laughs> um, so uh, they, they continue uh, the expeditions and setting up the forts. And uh, they uh, make alliances with the Iroquois that are in that area. And uh, they start uh, building boats. Uh, so they, and not just boats, ships, uh, full on, like could nearly cross the ocean ships. Uh, so they uh, established the Frontenac, which is a 10 ton uh, sail ship. Uh, and then they also build the uh, Le Griffon, uh, which is a 45 ton, seven cannon sailing ship. These were meant to cross uh, the Great Lakes uh, with, uh, uh, with a lot of speed. Uh, and uh, so the men are working on this furiously throughout the winter. Uh, at a certain point, they uh, run out of supplies. And so LaSalle and a few others, the, the lake is frozen. And so they use snowshoes to cross Lake Ontario and walk oh, all no. the way uh, to uh, Fort Frontenac to get supplies and then bring them back. Uh, they arrive back uh, in August uh, of 1679, and they have these two great ships now uh, able to cross uh, the Great Lakes, and they go uh, and they sail across Ontario through the rivers up to Lake Michigan. And uh, there they find out that... Uh, most of the men that a Torti took with him uh, gave up. Uh, they, they, they weren't having a good time, and so they decided to go back to Canada uh, and pretty much mutinied. Uh, and so LaSalle, who was hoping to find uh, all of this work and finding all of these furs, now doesn't know where his men are. Uh, <laughs> but in September, they continue going through the lake and then get to uh, Green Bay. And there they find Torti. And they find Torti and about a handful of other guys who were, remained loyal to him. <laughs> and they produce uh, this fortune of furs, just uh, uh, piles and piles and piles of furs that they load up the griffon uh, with all mm -hmm. of these furs. Mm -hmm. And uh, on September 18th, 1679, they send uh, the griffon on uh, to go to Montreal to unload these furs, uh, get some supplies and come back. Uh, mm -hmm. So that ship leaves on September 18th, 1679, and that ship is never seen again. Oh, no. Uh, that it is one of the great shipwrecks of the Great Lakes. Uh, archaeologists, uh, treasure hunters uh, have uh, spent uh, many generations uh, combing the bottom of the Great Lakes to find this uh, great ship. Oh, no. Well, LaSalle doesn't know. 
that the ship's gone. Uh, so he just continues going about his work as he was. Uh, okay. So he continues on his journeys down uh, the St. Joseph River. Uh, he travels across uh, much of what is now Indiana and Illinois. Uh, he uh, comes to where Peoria, Illinois is today and uh, encounters the Peoria Indians. And they have a big beef with the Iroquois. The Iroquois have been causing trouble all this time for the French people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so LaSalle decides to help the Peoria Indians against uh, the Iroquois Indians. Mm. Uh, and uh, they are uh, successful and they uh, continue on their journey. 1682, uh, they uh, cross the Kankakee River, uh, the Illinois River. They take the Illinois River to the Mississippi. The, now, I'm saying all these things because we all know what these rivers are. But mm -hmm. LaSalle doesn't know what these rivers are. Uh, the only other person who had seen, the only other uh, European who had seen the Mississippi River was DeSoto, who was 150 years before this. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, there's been no settlement on the Mississippi River. Uh, so uh, the, this is uh, major things that he's discovering, this huge river, and he's hoping that he's going to be able to take this Mississippi River <laughs> to California, um, okay. but that's not quite uh, what no. ends up happening. Uh, but uh, he he goes down the Mississippi. He gets to what is now Memphis. He establishes a fort there. He continues going down, uh, and uh, he hits uh, uh, the end of the Mississippi River, what is now New Orleans, uh, and he establishes uh, a settlement there, uh, plants down the French flag, and claims all of the land of the Mississippi River in the name of King Louis the Fourteenth, and all. All of that land becomes Louisiana, and that is what mm -hmm. becomes the Louisiana Purchase some 150 years later. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so uh, 16, by 1684, he's able to get back up to Canada, uh, and uh, someone else had gotten there ahead of him, and they went back to France. And they told him that LaSalle doesn't know what he's doing and that he's causing all this trouble with the natives oh, no. and now the Spanish. And so now LaSalle's name is... a uh, it's a bad word in Versailles in the courts of Louis the oh, no. So uh, LaSalle has to go to Versailles to defend himself and he does so very well saying uh, actually look at all this land that now belongs to you King Louis yes. and uh, this may cause a war with Spain but you were already fighting the Spanish anyway uh, yes. so let's go ahead and have some <laughs> beignets at the French Quarter while we're That's at it. That's right. Uh, and while he's there defending his name, uh, there's some other palace intrigue going on because of this war that's happening between the French and the Spanish. And you know what is more valuable than fur uh, is silver. And mm -hmm. uh, the French are saying, you know, that New Spain uh, over there uh, with uh, Mexico and all, um, there's a lot of good silver mines there. Uh, if we could set up a fort close to uh, Mexico... Uh, maybe along the Rio Grande River, uh, we could go in, uh, get the silver, and come back out to our fort and uh, say, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you can't catch us. <laughs> Uh, so LaSalle is going along with this idea, but he's saying, well, but uh, I'm trying to establish something at the mouth of the Mississippi River. That's not really close to the Rio Grande River. Uh, and they say, yeah, but if we put it on the map like it is close, uh, oh, no. Louis XIV won't know the difference. Oh, no. And so they go, okay, this this, okay. Is a, this sounds like a great idea. Uh, so this whole idea, and so they fudge 
change this map and they doctor it to make it look like uh, New Orleans and Brownsville are just right next to each other. Okay. And uh, he goes to uh, Louis uh, the Fourteenth and says, uh, "Let let's set up a colony uh, uh, in at the uh, at where the Mississippi River ends, which uh, is you know right by Mexico." <laughs> and Louis the Fourteenth is wee uh, wee. Oui, oui, go ahead. Uh, and so July twenty fourth, sixteen eighty four, uh, Lu- uh, LaSalle is set up to set up a colony, uh, a town. Uh, so he takes townspeople, tradespeople. Uh, he takes shoemakers and cobblers and uh, blacksmiths, uh, not soldiers, uh, to uh, not adventurers. People that mm-hmm. you need. What, what good are soldiers going to do you when you're setting up a town? Yeah. So he uh, takes three ships, uh, 300 colonists, tradespeople, blacksmiths, uh, tailors, uh, and a few missionaries. Because, of course, you're going to encounter some natives who need to hear the word of God. Uh, and his brother uh, and his nephew and a handful of unmarried women so that they can populate the town. That's right. Uh, and so, and they crowd on three ships, uh, Le Jolie, Le Emblé, uh, and La Belle. Uh, and uh, they uh, set sail uh, for uh, what they hope is going to be Louisiana. <laughs> and already, just from the first few days, there are tons of disagreements between LaSalle and the crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, LaSalle does not listen to anybody else. Okay. And uh, the the crew are these hardened sailors, and they have there are all sorts of superstitions that go along with uh, being sailors of the time period. Uh-huh. One of them says that if you have somebody who uh, has not been on an ocean voyage before, um, you have to baptize them. Uh, okay. And the way that you do that is you put them on the block and tackle and you dip them into the ocean three times. Okay. And uh, the only way to get out of that is by bribing the other sailors with liquor and money. Okay. And LaSalle says, we're not going to do this. We have 200 some odd people who've never been in the ocean before. Uh-huh. We're not, we're not going to do this baptism. Well, yeah. this, beca- th- th- this puts uh, LaSalle uh, in not the good graces of the rest <laughs> of the sailors because they were hoping <laughs> to dunk some people or get a lot of wine. And right. now they're getting neither. Yeah. Um, also, the ships are so crowded that there aren't any room in the berth. So people have to sleep on deck. Oh uh, exposed to the elements. Uh, so uh, also uh, the uh, the the second in command, uh, Captain uh, Beaujou, um, says we have to get more water. Uh, they uh, there's a, an island uh, off the coast of it, of the Atlantic that they're supposed to get some more fresh water. And LaSalle says I'm running out of time. We don't need it. And so they keep Uh-oh. going. Uh oh. Now it. it, it Outside of the people who are going to die just from making the ocean voyage, the water thing doesn't really come up too much. But still, it shows that he's not listening. Uh, They eventually make it to the Caribbean. Uh, They uh, dock off of the island of Tortuga, which LaSalle told them not to do. But Captain Uh Bougeau says, we we need rest now. We've crossed Uh the Atlantic Ocean we're yeah. going to stay here in the Caribbean, and they stay uh-huh. there for a few months. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, they do end up having one of the boats, one of the smaller boats uh, that was carrying supplies of ammunition uh, back to one of the larger ships. Uh, it gets uh, taken by Spanish pirates. Oh. Um, but outside okay. of that, they're able to relax on a little Caribbean vacation mm-hmm. before they get to what they hope is going to be a good time in the Big Easy. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, then in November of 1684, they leave a Tortuga, uh, they go past Cuba, and they just keep going west. Uh, and uh, they just completely forgot where New Orleans is supposed to be. Uh-oh. And they just keep on going west. And then they get to some shoreline, uh, but it doesn't look anything like what the Mississippi River is supposed to look like. <laughs> Uh, so they decide to dock, uh, you know, lay anchor, kind of explore what they're looking at here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they send a few of the French guys uh, aboard and uh, or ashore, and uh, they don't come back. Uh-oh. And it turns out that they uh, have made their way uh, to Matagorda Bay. Uh, off of what is now the coast of Texas. Uh-huh. And uh, those French guys uh, encountered uh, some Karankwa. Uh-oh. Uh, which uh, the <laughs> Karankwa are uh, like no other Native Americans uh-uh. that the La- that LaSalle had ever seen before. Uh, they were seven feet tall. Uh, yeah. They were covered in a shark fat uh, yeah. to help them uh, get rid of all the mosquitoes around. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, were notoriously known uh, for uh, cannibalism. Yeah. Uh, well, the, they hadn't actually gotten to the part of, of eating uh, these French prisoners, and uh, LaSalle was able to lead a relief team to get these prisoners out. But mm-hmm. while they're doing that, one of the ships run a, runs aground uh, and uh, is sinking fast. They're able to uh, rescue uh, all of the people, and they're able to get a lot of the supplies and even a lot of the wood before it completely sinks. Mm-hmm. But now they're here where Garcia. Creek empties out into Matagorda Bay. Uh-huh. And this has got to be like, I don't know, 80, 100 miles from uh, the Mississippi <laughs> River. Surely it is. I know where I am. Uh, I have this uh, Photoshop map that I made. Uh, and uh, so they decide, well, we'll make a settlement here and then we'll find the Mississippi River uh, a couple weeks probably. Uh-huh. Uh, and Captain Bougeau, he looks at all this and he says, no, I think I'm going to go back to France. Uh, and so he takes one of the ships and the crew and the supplies and he <gasps> takes them back to France. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll find you guys uh, later because you're so close to the Mississippi River. We'll, we'll see each other again. Uh, uh-huh. So they're gone. And so LaSalle is left with two ships, uh, about 200 colonists, uh, and they start taking the materials of the down ship. And they start making what is, uh, becomes known as Fort St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're building Fort St. Louis all throughout uh, the rest of uh, the winter uh, and into uh, the spring and summer of 1685. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, where Garcetas Creek empties out into Matagorda Bay, um, the closest uh, forest is about three miles away. Uh, Uh So to get more wood uh, for the fort, uh, he sends men out uh, to make this trek of three miles. And every day they're going out in the middle of the hot Texas spring and summer. Uh Um, So the men are dying from disease. The men Uh are dying from heat stroke. Uh, Uh The men are dying. uh, Some of them get eaten up by alligators. Uh, And then some of them get eaten up by Uh Karankwa. So it's not a good time. And throughout this time, once the fort is established and they have palisades and everything, uh, LaSalle starts, okay, we're going to start looking seriously for this 80-mile journey uh, to get to the Mississippi River. Actually, Mm -hmm. they're 400 miles away from the Mississippi (laughs) River. 
Uh, so we're going to go out and they keep uh, going out uh, throughout 1685 uh, to try and find the Mississippi River. Uh, the LaBelle uh, would go along with them. So they would. Go, the LaBelle was designed to go up the Mississippi Delta. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it was pretty shallow. Uh, so the ocean voyage was actually pretty rough on it. But it was built to go through uh, the shallow waters of the of the Delta. So mm-hmm. it would follow along uh, on the river while uh, LaSalle and some men would go throughout the land uh, to try and find the Mississippi River, which is supposed to be just anywhere around here. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, But it's not. It's not anywhere uh-huh. near there. Uh, and they encounter they encounter other Native Americans, uh, the uh, Caddo, the Tejas um, Indians, uh, who uh, give them information that they, they would be very willing to have a complete uprising against the Spanish if you just had a few more men. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's very encouraging to LaSalle to stick around in the area. And uh, they continue going around uh, and they keep going out and then they, no, this isn't right. It, I, we must have taken a wrong turn at Albuquerque or something. <laughs> and then they, they eventually make it back to Fort St. Louis. And in 1687, uh, or, or 1686, they are uh, continuing all these expeditions to try and find uh, the Mississippi River. And uh, at, during one of these expeditions, the LaBelle, it runs aground and it sinks. Uh, and uh, they are able to rescue like three or four of the guys of the crew, and they go back to Fort St. Louis. And then in 1687, uh, 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 LaSalle decides that he is going to walk to Montreal. Oh, my. Which the man can't find the Mississippi River. I don't know how he <laughs> thinks he's going to make it up to Canada. Uh-huh. Uh, but he just had a hankering for some poutine. And so okay. he starts walking. And uh-huh. he takes some men with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time you get to March, uh, people are getting really upset. Now we've had two years, two years of just floundering around the Texas coast, getting eaten up by alligators and Karankawa. You've got <laughs> uh, settlers, uh, trades people who don't know uh, what they're doing. Uh, and so really, you're looking at about 50 that are left uh, mm-hmm. at Fort St. Louis. And LaSalle goes out and he takes some hunters with him. And uh, one of the hunters uh, was uh, Pierre uh, Duhat. Uh, they probably pronounce it differently, but that's how it's spelled. So I'm going to say Duhat. <laughs> and uh, these are hunters and, because they don't have enough food with them. So they're going to hunt some buffalo along the way. Well, okay. as they're hunting the buffalo, uh, the hunters who successfully get the buffalo and process the meat believe that they should get a larger cut of the meat. Uh-oh. Seems pretty fair to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, LaSalle's little upstart nephew comes along and says that's not right, that we need to share the food equally among everyone. Uh, and the hunters uh, really don't like this, and they really don't like the nephew, so they kill him. Uh-oh. Uh, so the nephew's now dead. And oh, no. a couple of weeks later, LaSalle's, well, how come little nephew hasn't come back to camp? So he oh. starts looking out for... Uh, for the the nephew and the hunters decide you know what um we we we've now killed the nephew we need to now kill whoever's left who's loyal to la salle oh uh, so in the middle of the night they go and find the camp and they kill them with an axe <gasps> uh and then uh on march 19th um 
they are uh, exploring uh, what we're pretty sure is now where the confluence of the Navasota and the Brazos Rivers. Again, mm-hmm. about 400 miles away from New Orleans. <laughs> uh, and uh, they're exploring. And uh, according to the only account that we have, uh, he, uh, LaSalle is walking along with a priest, uh, one of the missionaries that he brought with him. And he talks about LaSalle walking through and that he uh, was a very serene, uh, more calm and serene than he had ever been uh, during this whole ordeal. And, and, mm-hmm. and that the sadness kind of overtook him and he, he didn't know why. Uh, but it, he was very moved and, and he was reflective upon his life. Um, and and uh, then a, a few hours later, they see the vultures that uh, are circling over something, some oh. sort of meat. Oh, no. And LaSalle fires his pistol up into <gasps> the air uh, oh. to draw the attention of uh, whoever's left. There must be some survivors. Uh-oh. And uh, sure enough, there were. Um, they were the hunters. Uh, and so the hunters, <laughs> oh, no. uh, they silently cross the river and they uh, come up among uh, the tall grass uh, along uh, the Navasota River. And uh, one of the little kids, uh, teenagers, pops up, and he's very insolent to LaSalle. Uh, and uh, LaSalle gets very cross and angry with him. And while he's in the middle of this argument, uh, Duhat pops up uh, with his musket and uh, fires it into LaSalle's temple. Uh, yes. And that was the uh, end of LaSalle. Uh, LaSalle's yeah. body uh, was stripped of everything. Uh, the rest of the hunters, um, they stripped the body uh, of all valuables and clothes, left him naked. They then mocked uh, the body. Uh, I can only imagine like uh, in Monty. I parked in your general direction. Uh, They mocked his body. They then drug his naked body to some of the taller grass and did not build him a grave. Uh, They just let him be uh, eaten up by whatever vultures and scavengers came around. And uh, that was uh, the end of Sierra de la Salle. Um, a few of the men uh, were able to make it back to Fort St. Louis. There are about 25, 30 people still left there. Uh, most of them ended up dying uh, from a final assault from the Caronqua. Uh, there were a few children that were taken and adopted by the Karankwa, uh, and stories started circulating among the Native Americans that were trading with these French people, um, and some of these Native Americans were also trading with the Spanish, uh, but the Spanish were not in Texas. This, the Spanish were all the way in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, so the story starts getting around, hey, there's some French guys uh, up here in Texas, you know, that place that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, suddenly the Spanish started to care about it. Mm-hmm. And so they sent expeditions to try and find where the French were. There weren't really any French left by the time they got there. But as you get into the 1690s, they decide we really need to settle this land because if we don't, the French are going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so they set up San Antonio and they mm-hmm. set up the missions and the presidios and they set up Nacogdoches and trade routes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because of this misadventure, because of this uh, uh, expedition that was so ill-fated, um, is the reason that the Spanish permanently settle what we now know as Texas. And as you look on the ramifications that that had for the rest of American uh, and world history, 
all of that can be tied to LaSalle setting up, uh, unfortunately, uh, where uh, the Lavaca River empties out into Matagorda Bay mm-hmm. and where the Karankwa, uh were licking their chops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so it, it, a, a really fascinating figure who lived in a lifetime that is... Um, it's amazing uh, how how it all comes together. That um, this was a time I, when I read history, I think of Candide, I think of Voltaire, and just the the ability to leave uh, these European cities and just found a town, just mm-hmm. bring uh, three hundred colonists with you, a couple of unmarried women to populate the place, and just create a whole new town and civilization. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a man who thrived on adventure, uh, who thrived on on discovering the unknown. Uh, The word discovery isn't necessarily the correct word because Native Americans were, of course, there and had their own cultures and everything. But Mm -hmm. to the French people, it was all new. This was all new stuff, that there was a Mississippi River and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And had a profound impact on the rest of American and world history. Uh, And, you know, met his end uh, so, so miserably. Um, but it, it just uh, a, a, an amazing life that uh, Sierra de la Salle led. Well, yeah, but also uh, so much uh, that happened that was unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I find that very interesting if this is his actual birth time. Because the way this is played out with this being his birth time and Aquarius rising, uh, I don't know if I agree with this birth time. Because if, uh, if these things are true, I just feel like maybe this is not his birth time. I don't know. What do you think, Chandler? I think a lot of it makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think uh, uh, over and over again, you were talking about that, you know, his his purpose is to uh, communicate about unknown things. I mean, true. what else is being an explorer and a discoverer That's and true. someone who, 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 who finds all these things? That's that it's not necessarily taboo. It's unknown. It's it's discovering yeah. things. That's um, true. I I think that yeah there there are probably a few things that uh, don't make complete sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was a little bit aloof. I think that he was not uh, the best with his um, uh, subordinates. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how gregarious he was, and he certainly wasn't lucky. Um, but uh, right. there's a lot of karma with business. So. All the stuff about fur trading—that's business. That—that—that's that, yeah. the biggest business of the time. And there was there were lessons that he learned from that because he was coming to what he thought was uh, Louisiana to do that business all over again, uh-huh. and he was not able to because his men shot him in the face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's uh, right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that there are lots of things that do make a lot of sense. Um, well, see, he couldn't have done his work the way he needed to do it because he has an interception where his North Node is. Yeah, I think he so, never found that partner. Yeah, he he has some issues here. And 
I don't know if he was odd looking. I mean, uh, I, uh, for whatever reason, I think LaSalle is not a bad looking man by the way they, uh, the statues. So, I mean, I don't know if I've seen him in a painting, but, um, I do feel that he was very passionate about his adventures, you know, mm-hmm. but he was confused because he has Neptune conjunct his son, conjunct Mercury. It veils his ability to communicate while he is supposed to be communicating, but also has death and rebirth with his, with his communication because Pluto is in Gemini and Chiron is in Gemini. There's so much here that is p- problematic for him, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, that's a lot. But again, I am not sure that this Aquarius rising is definitely, you know, in my opinion, I think that he might've had something else rising. I don't think it would have changed the fact that he has interceptions because of where he was born and the day he was born and the year he was born. But, uh, very interesting. And I mean, I knew, some of the things that you were going to say about LaSalle, because, you know, here in Texas, we all learn about LaSalle, right, in, uh-huh. in history. But uh, a lot of this I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that he knew he was not in the right spot. Well, I didn't know I mean, that. He, he didn't know how off he was. I know, but I didn't know he knew it. Yeah. So that well, is, yeah, uh... he he knew he wasn't. He, he knew enough. That uh, the Lavaca River doesn't look like Mississippi River. <laughs> he was at least that smart. Uh, well, he he remembered the last time he was here, there weren't seven foot tall cannibals trying to right. eat him, and this yes. time there were. Yeah. Uh, so I he 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 knew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Captain Bougeot, he knew real quick, and he uh-huh. got the heck out of there. <laughs> it's like bye bye. <laughs> I'm taking this ship. I'm going home later yeah oh my gosh well this is uh wonderful uh information and i do i kind of feel sorry for lasalle because it's like you kind of had a lot of good ideas and you had all the adventure going for you and you weren't afraid to just step in and do whatever. Uh, I just don't think you had the foundation to get it done, you know? So very interesting. And a very, um, uh, uh, I don't even know what to say. Because I'm just looking at this chart going over and over like, okay, well, he has bad things, crazy things, right? Because yeah. this Uranus conjunct his Mars, which is his passion and his direction, right? Conjunct his Venus, which is what he 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 wants to do. It's what he loves. But it's Uranus. So everywhere he turned, something crazy was going to happen, you know? Yeah. Death and rebirth, starting over and over and over and over with this Uranus, right? Yeah. People should know their charts. <laughs> People need to know, you know, if you have Uranus in Scorpio, conjunct your Mars and your Venus, let's really rethink what you want to do. Okay. <laughs> let's really rethink this. And if you have an interception that you can't get to your North Node, let's, let's figure out a good plan, <laughs> you know? 
because these things are problematic and it shows in his history. Well, I think uh, on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, this is this is pretty close. This is pretty close to right <laughs> on the money. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think I really do. I mean, the the um the 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 fact that you know what one of the things was um you know t- talking about his purpose being communicating about unknown things uh-huh. and uh, and a complete fearlessness about the unknown. Yes. He didn't know how afraid he should have been yeah. uh, when he showed up at Matagorda, um, but uh, he 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 didn't, and that that's what led to um, because and of course we we focus so much on Texas, but it's important to note Louisiana, you know, the whole Louisiana Purchase is uh, essentially uh, all that territory being claimed by France is mm-hmm. is because of him too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're. It's almost like he was a pawn in in a game much larger than he would have ever thought of. Yes, uh, that the, he was a piece being moved not just by kings but by on a universal scale. Right, uh, because everything. Uh, I mean, of course, I can go much more into the ramifications that this has on Texas history, but one of them being, you know, the largest fort in Texas was Presidio La Bahia, Mm -hmm. which is Goliad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bahia means bay because Mm -hmm. the Spanish were setting up the fort exactly where Fort St. Louis was uh, Mm -hmm. to make sure that they claimed exactly what the French had claimed and made sure that they could push off the French uh, from that area forever. Mm-hmm. But the same thing happened to that fort that happened to Fort St. Louis. The Caronqua kept attacking so many times mm-hmm. that Presidio La Bahia, the bay, kept moving inland and inland until it got to Goliad, mm-hmm. which is not on the bay. No. But it kept that name forever. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things that all tie back to him. Mm-hmm. In in this huge scale of history, that um, and and also uh, uh, the greatest archaeological discovery of the twentieth century, pretty much at least in terms of North American history, is mm-hmm. when they discovered Labelle. They discovered the ship, and that it had been completely the 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 silt of Matagorda Bay had gotten rid of any oxygen, so. None of it was decayed, mm-hmm. or very little of it. Organic rope and and, and people were able to be found yeah. uh, from this discovery, which is now you can see it in the in the Bullock Museum in Austin. One of the greatest finds uh, and and the greatest case that we have of 1600s French culture can mm-hmm. be found. So there are so many things that tie in to uh, that that he was part of this much much larger game that. Uh, we're still feeling the ramifications and ripples through to this very day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Very, very, very interesting. An eighth house having Uranus in your eighth house in Scorpio as your legacy. <laughs> your legacy is odd things happening yeah. out of the blue. That's yeah. your legacy, you know. That, that musketball shirt came out of the blue. The what? That musket ball shirt came out of the blue. Yeah, and you know he wasn't beheaded. He at least he no, was he did not get dead. eaten by a Kroankoa uh-uh. or by an alligator. No, you know, I mean he 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 went hopefully fast. It went right in and yeah. out, and it was done. 
Yeah. And that was almost kind of humane, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's that. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, we have uh, all of our links to our social media posted in the show description. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We're posting our YouTube uh, episodes and shorts uh, from the first season up every week. Uh, we uh, thank everybody who uh, has been uh, subscribed to the channel. Uh, if you have not subscribed already, please do so. Um, uh, we're, we're getting a, a whole new audience coming uh, from that. So uh, thank you uh, so much for that. Uh, also, uh, if you'd like to support the show, uh, we have a link provided to our PayPal account. Every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding our audience. And if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we have already seen uh, how uh, LaSalle, if he had just known his chart, he could have planned right. his life a little differently. Uh, you should know the pitfalls of your own chart to help <laughs> you plan your life so that you don't get a musket ball in your head. Oh, uh, no. So uh, uh, go ahead and uh, follow the link uh, to uh, Chandler's <laughs> mom at historyandretrograde.com and uh, she can get with you uh, with more details about how to make that happen. Okay, none of that's going to happen, but you can get to all the links if you just go to historyinretrograde.com. So www.historyinretrograde.com. You can get everywhere. You can get to all the podcasts or the major ones. You can get to YouTube. You can get to Instagram. You can get to Facebook. You can get to all the places and you can get to me. You just push the link and it'll take you to my email. But um, I will say that it probably is a good idea if you haven't ever had your chart done to, you know, maybe think about getting your chart done. And currently I am doing five minute free readings. I don't have that many left for May and I, I can't remember right now. I think this is coming out on Friday, right, Chandler? Yes, this is yeah. coming out so, the Friday. I mean, this we Friday as we're recording it. So yeah, I have about uh, maybe 10 more five minute readings times available. Um, they are going fast and I am doing full readings, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, guys, if you like the show, the best thing you could do for us right now, besides sending money, which would be awesome, would be to go to YouTube and subscribe to the show because we need a thousand subscribers, uh, before we can monetize. <laughs> Oh, we're getting the views. Uh, we're getting people following, but uh, and 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 liking. But um, until we get those thousand subscribers, we we're not making any money. Just YouTube is making money, so that would be nice if you guys would do that. Um, I think that uh, there is so much to say about the YouTube channel because I have heard from people I'm working with on their charts that they're really having a good time watching these uh, first season episodes as I go through the chart so they really understand what's happening. So let us know what you think. Leave a comment. Like it. Let us know something. We're really excited when we hear from you. And uh, on the podcast portion, also please uh, rate uh, the podcast if you're on Spotify and Apple a podcast. Uh, this is a podcast all about stars, so uh, please give us those five stars. Uh, leave a uh, written review. Every little bit helps us in growing the show. Uh, and as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine.
Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.